welcome to another episode of Build Up One Another. I'm your host, Karen Temple. So this is where I interview accomplished men and women who know that to go far, you go with one another. My guests share practical and unexpected ways in which we nurture our allies and navigate our adversaries. Join us as we unpack the stories behind our key relationships and how these have impacted where we go and who we become. Today, I'm delighted to have Dave Posner and Mark Thurman on the show. Dave is an intellectual property attorney in Boston, where he advises high-tech companies on a range of complex IP issues. Mark is a senior executive with over 30 years of experience in telecom, infrastructure, and networking companies. He currently leads the global IoT strategy within JD Power's TMT Group. Now, both are active with the MIT Enterprise Forum. This is a not-profit affiliated with MIT that focuses on the success of early-stage technology entrepreneurs. I suppose it's not surprising that the logical next step for Mark and Dave was to start a podcast called Failure, the podcast. Oh, did I mention they're both from Boston? Well, that's my simple disclaimer that this podcast diverges a bit from our usual format, and so I'd love to hear what you think about it. Anyhow, let's join the conversation and hear what they have to say. Yeah, welcome. I'm, I'm glad you guys are here. Thank you so much for doing this with me. This is, um, this is awesome. You know, I met Dave um, at the last LES conference and... Yeah. What do you do? Did you forget? I mean... <laughs> oh, I'm well, sorry. We're pretending this is our podcast, but in point of fact, it's yours. Yeah, we're recording already. We're recording. We're... That's good. So, so my podcast is really all about... Anybody who does anything great in life, the the spotlight's on them. And sure enough, everybody has to take ownership of their own life, of their own actions, and how they respond to the various events in their life. Absolutely, 100% advocate of all that. But when you go far, you invariably need to go with other people. You need to be able to see how you're able to align where you want to go with other people so that you can create that synergy and go far. At the same time, along the along that way, you're going to have adversaries. You're going to have people trying to take you out. And, and so it's how you respond to that so that we recognize that we're not just individuals in our own microcosm, but that we actually live in communities. We live in the workplace. And to really have meaningful relationships and a meaningful life and meaningful work, you got to know how to interact with, with people. And yet I, I see such a breakdown of this. May, may I interject? So it, you already have. Sorry, well, that's true. So it sounds like it, the, the, your core point is resilience, if I, if I gave it a one-word answer. But are you doing this in reaction to the current times, or are you doing this just in general? By current times, I mean, you know, this COVID crisis. No, he didn't. He meant this administration. No, well, she's in Canada, so. <laughs> he did. They don't, they. Trudeau doesn't even shave anymore. Yeah. I, is, is, are you doing your podcast based on just sort of like this year, 2020, or are you doing this just sort of like you've noticed that uh, society's become unglued in the last X number of years? Yeah, I mean, I've noticed the ungluing my entire life. Um, it's just reaching new proportions, I would say. You make bad about our podcast. <laughs> yeah. Because she's very deliberate about having a point of view, and we're very deliberate about being two dopes. <laughs> Listen, I think at the end of the day, it's, it's about having having those conversations. So, no, I mean, I, I'm thinking about it just because I'm, I'm doing this with some intention, but the idea is to have 
different voices, different conversations come on. So some of the things that I that have been going through my head are character and action versus identity and feelings, principles and values versus whims and wants. What's reality? Like how is the world really versus how do we want to believe it should be? Right? Because there's reality. And I find a lot of people, back to your point with failure, a lot of people that I see and that I coach wish reality was different. But reality is what it is. It's a feedback mechanism. And, and if you don't see reality for what it is, how are you supposed to respond? Everybody I've seen who's been successful says, this is reality and I'm going to work through that rather than wanting reality to change so that I can walk on a golden path. But part of it is also because I'm very curious to hear from other people their experiences. It's also because it's what I see in the entrepreneurs that I coach and, and the work that I do both at the university and outside from a perspective of trust. How do, how do, how do people form trust between groups? That's right. what my question was. How you? You just asked. So the, we'll, we'll shut so up. The two, of you, the two of you have started a podcast. It's called Failure the Podcast. I'm not sure if the podcast is the failure or the topic is the failure, but I've listened yeah, to well, a few I, episodes, and I got to say, I, I do like it. But I see the tagline is all about learning from failure to achieve success, dot, 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 or not. Or not. And I, you know what? I kind of like that because I think there's often too much emphasis on failing. I think with failing, it's a great way to be able to laugh at our own folly and to not take ourselves so seriously, right? So it's I find your podcasts are kind of like a, a stroll time. down this somewhat random walk of human life and all its foibles. But I want to hear from you. Like, why did you decide to start this podcast? And is it taking you? So, so Dave and I are are friends for twenty some years. That's he, uh, he still hasn't paid his early bills. Well, and and then he was my <laughs> Uh, lawyer, uh, my IP lawyer for some patents I filed a Far number of years long. ago. Um, and you still and, like each other. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> look, don't don't confuse payment with uh, friendship. <laughs> but um, I'm still trying. That's to a different kind back. of relationship. I think, I think he has me on these on these podcasts just as a form of collection. But uh, so we previous so we've been very active at the MIT Enterprise Forum, and um, a lot of what we what this is kind of grew out of a prior podcast we did with some other friends called The Tech Entrepreneur, of which there are roughly 40 episodes somewhere loaded in. Always in, pitching. Always, always pitching. pitching. No, I'm trying to give her a little context. So uh, that one we kind of felt like came to a natural end. And then uh, David and a, 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 a third gent that was originally on the first Ziad. set of series, yeah, named Ziad. Yep. I uh, said, well, we ought to go, you know, failure is becoming a trendy topic. We ought to do a podcast all about failure. So we did, you know, a whole bunch of them. You know, I think I was victim number one for the company that I had started. So if you look at episode number one, it's about the company I formed called Airprint Networks and sort of the journey from uh, idea to up on the shelf and what we learned. And the second one was with my uh, partner from that, but his prior company was called Polaroid which was actually founded sort of in the area right behind us in these windows May that I you can't see. You? you just did. Okay. Go make my point. And um, yeah. I will argue the answer she is looking for is this, that I was giving the, the, the atmospheric context. Yes. Yes. We have context now. Um, I'll argue that um, this is a Facebook society and at least on the surface, superficially, it's a Facebook um what are all the other ones I don't know? Instagram? Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter. Yeah, where, where all we get are shots of perfection. 
And even in the pot in the what's it called the podcast verse, everything is about perfection. And in point of fact, most people's lives, including ours, are fairly mundane and full of not success. And I'm not saying failure, but they're full of not success. Yeah. So arguably, maybe this is a, a touch point with your podcast. We could do a podcast saying sort of called just doing it. In other words, I'm getting by because life is a lot of just kind of getting by. But we decided to focus on the other piece, which is failure, to help bring out the fact that a lot of shit just happens. And sometimes you have a success through the pivots that right. are that crap. And, you know, that's what we learn about. We're trying to learn about everything else. And the other thing that, uh, you know, again, Dave and I, you know, living in the Boston area, have listened over the years to a, a radio program on National Public Radio called Car Talk, uh, which is two brothers that actually talk about car repair. And they both coincidentally went to MIT where David went. And again, we're, you know, in the backyard of MIT right now. I'm looking at uh, building buildings here at MIT. I think those are Sloan buildings. But um, anyway, so these guys would, would have a phone-in show and people would call up and say, hey, I've got a 52 Chevy. It's got these problems and that problems. And they would use the caller as a foil and it was really the relationship between the two brothers because they're just two goofballs, two knuckleheads. Right. So we are. Yeah, so we're, we're we're the knuckleheads in that right. context. So, so this is essentially like a uh, I hate that phrase man cave, but essentially we now just per have fun. person cave a person cave, but we just have fun. Person cave meets Karen. With with a victim. There's usually a victim. We have fun and we pretend it's there's about, a, yet another Karen. I'm just you know. We pretend it's about failure, but in point of fact, if we can get to that, that's great. But. Um, so there, there you have it. The uh, point of the thing was to bring out failure in a society that's largely directed to success because mm -hmm. failure is largely what's going on in, me, in people's lives. At the same time, to then do sort of a breakdown, if we can, on how the failures occurred, not so much in people's lives but in their businesses. In a point of fact, we just end up bullshitting around with victims. Yeah, and, and I think you, he and I are both very interested in early-stage companies and yeah. kind of yeah. the, the journey they take. And, you know, it's a real privilege to talk to founders you know, about their struggles. It really is. And, you know, in the stuff that he does professionally, that I do professionally, where we work with early stage companies in different settings, you know, to really talk to someone and say, so you're really goofed up here, huh? Yeah. Uh, why do you think that is? And how did you recover? Yeah. That's, that's I think, a value certainly to us. And we hope people that, that struggle through listening to these things find it somewhat valuable. Um, and we have some fun, you know. We're, yeah, we, we have we're a too, shtick. We have yeah. a shtick. We repeat over and over again, but it's fun. And we're two goofballs, yeah. and, you know. It's fine. But like and it's it's it. and it's it's respectful. It's humorous. It's not you know, we're not here to denigrate anybody. And except Mark, except for me, uh, which is fine. So yeah, and I think you know I I I was saying this at lunch right before we uh, right before she we was going to ask a question. You know? That's fine. I, I'm not going to let her talk. It is her. Podcast. Not letting her talk. It's not ours. <laughs> ask your question. She's such a Karen. <laughs> <laughs> She's going to call your boss. Oh, do you want to ask a question? Do you want to talk in your podcast? It is your podcast. So I, I totally get how, and I appreciate also how your podcast profiles people and you do bring out that the failures, the failures in the business or things that have gone wrong and, and brought a real normal conversation around, well, what happened and what was the impact? Because often in life, when we have certain events that we feel are failures, you can actually turn them around and pivot and turn them into something, into a different opportunity, as opposed to feeling as though the sky has fallen and that's it. You're now being judged either by your friends, your family, or heaven forbid, the greater public, and that you're now a ruined person. 
And, and so I think there's real value in what you're doing there. I want to go back to you when you talked about the ventures that you're coaching and that you're working with these entrepreneurs and clearly they're, they're going to have to have some real ownership over the fact that they're owning this venture. And a key part of that is being able to attract the money, being able to attract the other people on their team and be able to accomplish things. But I'm wondering, you know, when we hear about venture ventures, it's often the usual. They want to be coachable and they want to be able to do those things I just mentioned. But can you go a little bit deeper in when you're working with ventures as to what you see really differentiates those ventures who are able to do that really well and those that are able to do it good, but not great? So I, I what I see are, you know, in the transition from the two person founder to uh, you know, success, I guess, is the ability to ignore and edit half the suggestions that you get. So you have to be a good editor of all the stuff that comes at you. Uh, the ability to, to really be capital efficient, so squeeze the penny. What I've, the, the ones that really succeed are the ones that respect the early money and, and understand that you're taking money from people, not from faceless objects. And, and, and I've seen the inverse. In fact, we did a podcast with one, which I won't name now, where I was on the board, where the guy just burned money. I mean, every early, early stage company. And, you know, we had Taco Tuesday and Whiskey Wednesday and this on Thursday. And he was just burning money but I think feeding that's people. All superficial. I yes. Really think it's, but he spent the same bullshit. We, that's the same bullshit that we give everyone else or not we. But you, you heard to give it everyone else. But the but, thing is, this, but the base things, the basics do matter. No, yeah, they do. But let's just assume the basics are in place. Okay. You, you got to avoid doing stupid things. Okay. Like don't don't. Well, I think what Mark's saying is, if you're running a business using somebody else's money, try not to squander it. Right. Um, and yeah. along the things of, of the line of don't do stupid things are when they ask you what your product is, be able to tell them what yeah. your product is. When they ask you what the market is and why you're targeting that market, you have to be able to answer all those questions cogently as if you thought it through. And not that people should be able to do that automatically without practice. Because all you're, people, you're right. one of the hugest indicators of the people we see are successful are people who have already been successful and this is now their third try. Well, that's true. But I, I think you know, David touched on this other notion, which is be able to tell a story. So, you know, be able to get in front of a group of folks and well, say, here's what I do. Here's the problem I solve. Here's why I'm doing it this way. And here's why I'm going to make a lot of assume they hear that from every. Yeah, but a lot of folks fail at they the basics. Do. They do. But let's just get rid of them. They're done. If they're okay. really lucky, they'll succeed. But they probably won't. But let's take yep. the great candidates. We've all seen people who have pitched and it's like, whoa. I remember somebody who came out of it was Google was the background. And it turned out um, he or she had thought through everything. And the answers were perfect. I had to imagine this is what Google meetings were like. Right. So you said to yourself, okay. Uh, check, 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 check. So now let's get rid of all the other ones for whom those checks don't occur. Let's get, let's, let's look at the ones okay. who should succeed because they can tell the story. Um, they know how to pitch. They know how to do and all They that raise enough around. money. And they've listened to all this crap they hear in all these meetings from people like us. Which ones are going to succeed? I'll argue it's often luck. Luck, <laughs> I mean, luck yeah. is being aware of, of the problems that you have and the, and the opportunities to spot being able to work with somebody or be able to work through other people in a positive way to be able to change that into luck. It's often opportunity recognition. So assume you got everything else and all of a sudden now you're bringing them together. They're smart, but they've never done this before. Often they're inexperienced. There's a lot of risk. 
failure is pretty probable. Yeah. So what is it when all those other factors and ingredients are there, how do those founders really leverage and nurture relationships and also navigate those adversaries? How do they do that well? Well, I would have no idea. All I was going to say was, going back to our favorite movie that we referred to yesterday. What, The Graduate? The Graduate. Plastics. But in this case, it's Pivot. Right. Um, that's not really the answer to your question. I don't even know. That's see, a level I don't See, think. the other thing that, again, you know, all the good behavior aspects still come in. Uh, all the attributes of a great founder and, or founders and the ability to raise money, All that's all great. Sometimes the idea is stupid. Well, that's not what she's asking. I, I, she's well, I know. a very focused question. All right. And the very focused question is, how do you do Because she does a people podcast. Oh, okay. And we, we, do, we do a stupidity. Question for me, and I'll shut up. I did, I did. She wants to know, what is it that you see in a successful company that allows them to sort of deal with the assholes and 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 coach and bring along the good ones? Somebody with thick skin. <laughs> that could be. No, but they and, a, and, a, and some empathy. Yeah, but again, think about when we did the with my friend Jenny when we did the podcast. Jenny, uh, yeah, dirty uh, laundry. Dirty laundry. Uh, so number six hundred and twenty-two. Whatever. Thirty percent off on those bags. Yeah. So here's here's a person who's a, a, an old friend of mine who she and her husband saw a need to create. By the way, just jumping ahead, are you going to answer a garment her bag? Are you going to answer her question? Or I just did. Question? It was a one-word answer. I moved what on. Was it? Oh, he, oh, he's oh he's moved Thick on. Thick skin. Oh, <laughs> Thick that's skin. all you get. Well, I mean, as you reframe it, uh, you know, I keep... Uh, you know, the answer, you don't, you don't know the you, answer. There's got to be a better answer than thick skin. All right, what's your answer? Well, I don't know that. Smart I, guy. I don't know. <laughs> I don't actually, it's at a level that we don't really deal. All we know is we see, at least from my perspective, you see these people are generally presentable or not. And when they, they fall in the or not category, they're unfortunately, they're going to get washed out until they figure out how to become presentable again, right? And learn how to tell everything cogently. But then what Karen's asking is how once they're kind of in stream, they're kind of paddling up the right stream as opposed to the wrong stream or being stuck on the bank or stuck on the twig. Once they're paddling upstream, how do they do all the crap and the alligators and all that crap? And I don't know that we ever see that. No, we, we, just, we so think about our friend Sanjay. Which who, one? Oh, yeah. Uh, I know, yeah. Sorry. I know the one, one we're going to see later. Karen um, actually knows a different Sanjay. Than okay. I know. But our friend Sanjay formed a company. He His initial financing was... Uh, by you know, pre-selling his service and product, um, you know he, he cut a very good deal that was beneficial for the customer yeah, and what's him. What's the answer to our question? And you know he spent many years running the company and had a successful exit. The answer to her, her question is, uh, uh, it's selling. Uh, I mean, if I had to really look at it, this particular founder just started selling the daylights out of his offering. And sales mm -hmm. cures all. Hey, but is the answer, I'm going back to that. Maybe there's something there, which is the answer is to be convinced your product is is the course you've chosen is the correct one. If it's not, to pivot. But assuming it's the correct one, to have thick enough skin to persevere all the crap, all the alligators. And, and, and like I've said, sales cures all. Is this you said thick skin, which absolutely. Because people are going to throw things at you, try to take you down, say crap, the whole bit. Your, your baby's ugly. And and you and you got to believe and go forward. So thick skin for sure, um, because it's just there. I always view them as distractors. They're just trying to distract you. And then at the same time, I think the other key part, and you you also mentioned this, is being able to prioritize, because I find so often they got all this information coming to them. They feel as though they have to build everything all at once, as opposed to focusing on what's the one max three things I need to really nail over this quarter or this time period. 
and do True. not like, and everything else is a 10%, 5%, a 1% activity. So I think prioritization is also super key. But the other area that I feel that it's challenging for early stage startups is how to qualify the allies that they can be working with. Because often there are a lot of people flocking. And I always say, you know, you're onto something when you start seeing bigger sharks circling you, wanting right. a piece of the action. Now, are they an ally or are they adversary? Or are they just sit there for their self-interest? Mm. And so I think being able to peel back and understand who's actually on your team and who's just there for their own self-interest and who's actually there to take you down. Now, self-interest is fine because like I say, I think you have to align your jet streams, if you will. If a person was going this way and you're going in a similar direction, if you can align that, then you can, it's like cycling when you race, when you're a cycler and you're behind somebody, you get a bit of that benefit through the drag, right? So I'm all about combining interests and because everybody has an interest in life and they should, it's their life. But those are some of the things that I've seen. So to me, it's the, the, the founder that is able to transition from fundraiser to a guy that actually sells stuff. Uh-huh. And that's, that's a difficult, because no, 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 no. Here's why I say she that. Wants to know about- you know, the attributes I see, which I think is sort of partly your question. When I, when I see a founder, I've seen founders that are great at raising money, but can't sell anything. Founders that flounder. The founders that flounder. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm not even talking about pivoting. To me, it's the guy that can raise money, the person that can raise money. It's very valuable. Again, when I think of the, and you know who I'm thinking of, the guy that raised a lot of money that did the Taco Tuesdays. He was a brilliant oh. fundraiser. He couldn't sell and he couldn't he couldn't uh, implement, but he could raise money like I've never seen anybody. He was a young guy. I've never seen anybody raise money that easily that quickly. But then to turn the cube on, uh, you know, one step, he, the the sales weren't really there and the ability to execute. So you need all three. You need sales. You need fundraising, which is a different thing. And and sometimes and that's why I think you know having two or three founders is kind of useful because one is good at one and one is good at the other. May I ask you the question that I want now answered? Yes, please. Okay. How do you recognize a strategic partner that's going to kill you as opposed to one that actually could be very valuable? I think it's a great. It's right. a great question. It's it, it is. Unfortunately, it's Karen's, but it's still. Early stage companies tend, depending on the industry, tend to want to go, you know, align with like if you're in the cloud business, you want to be uh, a Microsoft or an AWS, Amazon Web Services partner. Those are the very guys that'll kill you. Wait a minute, that's not an answer. No, don't. Oh. You, oh, don't. Oh, you, keep no, going. no, I think I Talk think more. It, if you're not careful. You'll get you'll in your zest to align with a zeal. big player, in your zeal to zeal. to align with a big player, they can kill you in one of two ways. One is competitively, they'll just you know replicate what you're doing and call it something different, or you will spend so much time being yes. part of their ecosystem, yeah. joining the program, going through the certification process, aligning Ooh. with their salespeople, meeting with their customers that you'll never actually or do both. something on your own. So actually, I just talked to somebody the other day. So you find yourself in violent agreement with me. Uh, I was trying to understand. Write down the date and time. Yeah. Okay. So I talked <laughs> to somebody. They had a seemingly okay idea, not that revolutionary in 2020. And they went down the road with a company that's nearby here. And they went through exactly what you said, which is 
come on in and learn our, the big company said, come in and learn our API because we would like to plug you into our API because you would be the perfect thing that we need to add to our business. So this went on for months and months and months. And, and then they thought they were almost there. And I don't know if Sisyphus is the right um, analogy. Yeah. But then it was like, oh, no, no. Why did you do that? No, no, no. It's the other API. Now, mind you, they'd been to all these meetings, so they knew exactly where they were going to go. And they went and started working the other API. And then eventually... This is, this they, is the rock moving that we described yes, in Venture Capital. The, yes. So once they moved the rock to the other location, the um, big company said... We don't need you at all. Why are you even here? What did you? What yeah. made you think you were valuable? And now the big companies come up with the very same product. <laughs> that's right. So, so you're validating yeah. my point. Yeah. So that's that's the thing. A lot of the early stage guys that that we see. So how um, do you recognize those? Um, the ones that go, you know, screw the big guys. I'm just well, going to go do it. Well, you're not know until they tell you to move the rock again, are you? Well, I, I'm thinking of the other other company uh, where my friend Marty works. Oh yeah. Um, where they're just like, we're going to do this, and we're only going to do this, and <coughs> excuse me, you can't um, you can't shake us from that. You know, we're just doing this. But how do you recognize it? Karen would like to know how you recognize early on, or is it just impossible to know? Because they say no. It, so when you say, hey, I'd like to introduce new company to established yeah. company, and the new company says. I'm good. No, 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 no. That's not her question. The question is, that if was your you're question, no, if you're a new company, how do you recognize the, um, how do you recognize this the strategic partner that's really out there to pick your brain of all the non-IP things that they can't be sued on, and then they ask you to move the rock again. And eventually, they kick you out the door and they replicate the business. How do you recognize those early on, or can you? I argue you often can. If they make you join their program versus joining yours. So, so I think you're right. I think at the end of the day, it's like any time where you're where you're doing something big and you're trying to find out who to partner with. Ultimately, it's having that that wherewithal to be able to qualify and say, okay, is somebody's actions actually in line with both our interests, or is it in, only in line with their interest? I have a genius and, idea that brings all these things together, and that genius idea can be summed up in one word: not plastics. And that would be called mentors. Isn't that why you bring on seasoned business folks from the who've been down the road because you possibly can't recognize all this and hopefully get the right one? You don't want you, for example, do not want Mark or me. You want somebody who knows something. But you bring on somebody who actually would say, "I went down this road. Let me tell you about the old days." And of course, they'll bore the shit out of you, but you might get something out of it. Well, and they probably know the players, and they'll say, "Oh yeah, when we pitched a deal to XYZ company, right? Uh, this is what they did." And, it was a waste of time. Right. And they will say, look out for X. And the X will always be, look out when they tell you to move the rock to the other side of the room. Or look out to when they don't encourage you to build a product that could work for our competitor. But at the end of the day, it's still the onus on the founders to get their company to prove out what they're doing to some point of value before those mentors who are the good ones who are actually going to spend their time helping some of those companies. Yes. Um, you'll get a little bit of advice, salt and pepper here and there. Um, but ultimately, they have to show that they have the competence and the wherewithal to attract the time and the attention of mentors who are really going to put wind at their sails and help them um, steer that so, rudder. So, I mean, I've seen people build advisory boards because they like the brand names of the people. And like I'm on one new board. Uh, I'm on one new board where I just I told them, you know, I'm going to tell you that your baby's ugly and how to fix it. Um so I'm not I'm not the pretty face and the big name, but I'm going to tell you exactly how I feel. 
and I hope that's okay. So I tell them up front. But a lot of times people just build advisory boards to say, oh, I've got the scientific advisory board or the technical advisory board, and they're names on a on a on a PowerPoint slide, but they're not actually people that do anything. Do something, as David said, that have that can tell you like this guy's crazy or this idea is nuts. Yeah. And again, it goes back to actions and intent behind those actions. Like somebody actually pulls you aside and says, Hey, what you're doing is really stupid or Hey, look out for this. This is really ugly. You should really pay attention. They actually took the time of day to, to tell you something real. And as, and as long as you know that they actually have your best interests at heart, that they're not just trying to mess around with you. That's somebody that is actually there to help you. As how, do you know, how do you recognize those people? How do you, that's, I'll argue the challenge is if it's your, one of your parents, then, and they, they have some basis for saying that, then you probably can trust them, but, and perhaps a sibling, but how do you, beyond that, how do you know? I think it's an indicator, right? I think it was somebody, so to Mark's point, he went to the company and said, hey, listen, I think what you got here is ugly, but I can tell you how we think you can change this. Rather than getting offended and let the ego dominate to say, how dare you tell me I've just spent three years and a million bucks trying to build it this way, because all these people said I was supposed to build it this way, and now you're telling me I have to change it. If you dig down to another level with that person and understand, well, why are you why are you telling me to change it this way? And give me some real evidence or some data as to why I should think about it differently. You have to be open to that rather than taking it personally. It goes back to the thick skin. And okay. when you're able to have that back, so I wouldn't say that it's a default that one person says this, you immediately trust them. No, absolutely not. I mean, you have to be discerning in life, but I think it's a trigger because a lot of people say, oh, a lot of people will be interested. A lot of people say, oh, you're great, right? Well, words are cheap. Actions are are where the rubber hits the road. So, I would so wonder... if someone is consistent in that way, then I think that's a, then you have to look at it. You still have to be aware and not be foolish, but I think it's I... an indicator. I would wonder how many CEOs out there um, operate largely in a vacuum and do not reach out and take tons of advice versus the number that actually do reach out and get a lot of advice, some of it good and some of it bad. And it makes, if, if the question is valid and, and the answer is a lot of the CEOs will end up being good, spend a ton of time reaching out to whatever community they can Depends to get advice. Depends on their style, I think. Well, how many succeed who don't reach out at all? Well, here, I... I Talking I, to the mic is... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I kind of look at, at the uh, case of Steve Jobs, just at, 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 at a certain well, level. That's, that's, so okay. he was... Uh, let me just finish. He's he's a guy that, that did not... That did not um, uh, ask customers what they wanted, did not do market research. He believed he could... You know, okay. he and the team would conjure up the most perfect whatever widget, and he that's, was validated by the market. That's a story. Let's let's talk about hard facts, though. But, but there's something there, though. Okay, there's something there See. because <laughs> because like ultimately, than you. <laughs> it ultimately goes back to selling, right? Because think exactly. about when you're when you're in sales and you're trying to solve a problem for somebody. You're selling, and, and so you're immediately seeing the you're getting the feedback from the person, you're trying to read them. And so as a result, you get experience discerning whether something's a real indicator or not. Is this a yes or is this a maybe that's gonna drag on forever? And so when you have that exchange, 
you start getting data. And when you have enough of that, you start be able to discern person did this for me here. This person says this, this person is saying that. And then you can start to weed out and prioritize to say, that's the person who I want on my board, or that's the person who I want being my mentor. Like Steve Jobs, I mean, ultimately he's taking, he's taking that risk. And it is a different way of approaching the problem. But the number of times that somebody is that good to come up with that disruptive it's a technology rare. is very, very rare. I think if we wait long enough, maybe another 10, 15 years, we are going to learn that it was Steve Jobs who chopped down the cherry tree. <laughs> I mean, it's, a, it's an American reference. Sorry. Um, was it Abraham Lincoln? George, or was it George Washington. George Washington. I cannot tell a lie. Chopped down the cherry tree. Right. So it was wonderful. My point is that father, father of our country. And I have another point, which is that was he in Hamilton when he chopped down the tree? No, I'm just asking. So oh, I just, don't know. Oh, anyway, we, so hold on. We all we all emanated from the same British hold hierarchy, on, on, anyway. <laughs> so, uh, so that's point well, number one. Is number two. Except for the is, queen's still on their currency. Is that Steve Jobs? If you have except enough, for the loony. If you have enough money, money which he had, and I don't mean personally, it didn't matter. The company had enough money that even without a vision, you could push the product. Well, so here's here's kind of what prompted me to say Steve Jobs in this context was. Essentially, the the founder that's confident enough—it's apocryphal, maybe. But the the if the founder is confident, either based on past success, deep knowledge of the industry or the or, problem they're or solving, or deep pockets, or deep pockets, so he doesn't need money or or help from anybody. Doesn't if they're just heads down, they can just plow through it, and the market will prove them right or wrong. No, 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 no. My point with that is that with enough money, you can convince the market it's what you want. Not necessarily. Look at, look at the current person in the White House. Oh, we're always going there. <laughs> The White House is but a large building it. in Washington, D.C., our nation's capital. Um, for but then, my point is that with a, with a startup that has no money, they don't, they don't have that kind of money, that your typical CEO doesn't largely is probably reaching out to a, a community of sorts and getting a lot of advice. And it's not like you need to get that advice for purposes of picking who's going to be on your board. Maybe that will be an offshoot of it. But you need to get all that advice at whatever cost it is. Hopefully some of it's free, some of it you pay for. And then you factor it all in into your head. And if you're a good CEO, you will move the company in a prosperous direction. A good CEO to me, again, it's a function of being a good editor in chief in a sense. Whoa, Take, taking, well, you know, taking all the edits and comments and outside things and references and ultimately coming up with the, you know, the, the, the path forward or not. That's what I, a lot, there's a lot of editing that goes oh, into that. Wait a minute. The editor in chief is like CEO. Well, I'm just saying the, the the CEO of a startup has to edit a lot of the baloney they hear. That's all I meant. Yeah. You know, and 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 you know, uh, have to make sure they're selling stuff. Yeah, I still think it comes down to luck. And in other words, you can dismiss all these conversations that you hear on the internet and on these podcasts. See, if, like if you were a bankruptcy lawyer, I think your perspective would be totally different. <laughs> you're at the front end. You're looking at inventions, and you're looking at the fun well, yeah, stuff. Yeah, the good side. You're you're in the procreation, yeah. not in the. Listen, I want to also ask you. So you talk about tech ventures, and you work with a lot of tech ventures coming out of MIT, um, and coming out of the academic world. And sure enough, there are some really sharp and capable founders, but most times they're inexperienced in business, yes. right? And and so they're coming from a certain training ground. And that training ground actually is not dissimilar to how can I be perfect? How can I score really well on various tests and exams? How can I get a, a paper with such brilliant and amazing results that it's published in nature or science? When I look at 
the business world, it's all about how. How do we achieve X with fewer resources and less time than we would like? How do we convince somebody to follow us? How do we convince somebody to buy from us? How do we convince somebody to put money into us? It's all about building that value. And there's, and so I'm curious, when you're working with different ventures and businesses, when you see the founders and you look at their propensity to be involved in that combat, that full contact sport, that engaging with other people and that marketplace. Do you see a difference between ventures coming out of the university, ventures, for example, you mentioned the, the, the dirty laundry bag where it's somebody who's had past experience, where they've been in the market before, they've learned well, from that, versus say coming from corporate. I'll start it. Is that at least to the extent I see this, they are the ventures that are coming out of the university or in the Boston market in general, where people are high achieving, not that they're not elsewhere, uh, except in Wayland, Massachusetts, um, where Mark lives, um, that they're largely pitching to investors who want to see the same sort of behavior. So it's probably unrealistic representation of where they need to be, but it's in the end, but it's a good representation that's a good attribute in those initial fundraising stages where you are dotting I's, crossing T's, and being able to answer all the questions at the same time knowing your business. Do you follow no, that? I do. I'm trying to figure out what question you just answered. The, the question was, <laughs> well, the question, I'm going to translate your question again. Is that okay? So to answer both questions, your questions are long and they're fun to listen to. Um, and I learned something, which is unlike our podcast. But but by the time they're over, I have to then translate them to something I understand. And then it's even worse with Mark. What she's saying is, is the business is a rough and tumble world, and yet we get these eggheads out of MIT. What gives? How is that going to work? I don't think that um, the, the nerds out of MIT are striving for perfection. I think they're really good uh, down a, a, a rat hole of technology that they're the world's expert at. You know, they have figured out the most advanced physics, blah, 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 whatever that widget is. What they can't do for the most part is tell the story of what problem they solve in the market. They can't talk to a customer. So, in fact, that's how I got involved with MIT early on is that I'd raised a bunch of money. And one of the guys here at Sloan met me and said, can you come in and tell my class, what did you do the day after you raised money? Because they don't know how to how to kind of start a real company. Disneyland? The, 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 uh, it was the basics. What? No, I said it was the answer Disneyland. No, it was not go to Disneyland. Disney it was not go to Disneyland either. An insurance company. A good lawyer. A good lawyer. Well, I know a few. <laughs> None in this room. Um, oh. But, you know, uh, so that, the, so again, I don't think that, that the nerds here are, uh, any more special than the nerds anywhere else? What would Sanjay say? So we have our, our close friend Sanjay, now the went to MIT. There, and the other one. He would completely disagree with you. No, well, he would say you're full of shit. So Sanjay was an unusual, but they're all person. unusual. Everyone. No, no, unusual. no. But he actually could. He understood the business world and he understood the technology space. He did. And he came from the investment banking world. Right. And he simply had to wait for. His product's he, time to come, and it, it worked. And it worked. And, and he was, and he had, he, he was in a situation where he could work for very little because his wife was also working. So he had a lot of advantages I there. I answer the question. Actually, is a false premise. Some of them want a job in their in their you know chosen field, and of they're course. not looking to do a startup. But the ones that want to do a startup, 
Um, here I found them to be fairly, you know, adept at both the business side grounded, and the technical side. Grounded. They're reasonably grounded. That's right. And they're surrounded, unlike when we went to school um, back in the Stone Ages. In the early 40s. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> they're grounded and they're surrounded by other people who've talked about entrepreneurialism. And they may be somewhat clueless in some regards, but what you're talking about, the sort of more professorial side, we tend to see less of in the yeah. uh, students started. The premise of failure of the podcast is oh, that. this should be good. No, no. I guess I should have paid attention before I joined this damn Yeah, thing. no, I know, I know. But the premise is that <laughs> the success you see all the time is not, the success you see all the time had a whole lot of failure behind it. Yep. And the premise of Karen's podcast is that the successful person you see in front of you had a whole support structure. Not necessarily a whole support structure. They've taken accountability for their own life. They've stopped looking in the windows of other people. They've stopped looking at through Facebook and saying, oh, that person is so wonderful, that person's so perfect. No, they just got on with their flipping life, figured out what their purpose is here and just keep focused on doing it and looked in their life to see how they're able to align with other people and deal with the hecklers in the crowd to say, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. And why yes, they're going to trip and fail. Why is that true? Was, so it's not the same, but why is that? Why is that true? Why is I would have said true? the other was true for sure. That almost every successful person has quite a team behind them. And I thought that yeah, was. I think they do, but they don't start with a team. You're not going to get a great team behind you unless you show up first and show that you're, you've got something. No, that's not. Well, then wait a minute. Okay. I thought when we talked about your initial, your initial idea on the podcast, that team was everyone from parents to siblings to whatever support structure got you to where you are yeah. today. Listen, you can, you can look at life and you can look at success. So you talked about failure, trying to get to success or not. You have the right to pursue happiness. You don't have the right to happiness. Okay. That's right. So first of all, we have to learn that we have to take individual ownership over our own agency and stop comparing and stop dividing. When you compare, you divide. And when you fail, it's your job to get up and say, how did I trip and what happened? And that's fine. As an individual, just doing that, you're going to get so far and you're going to be on principle to make good choices and decisions in life, even if shit happens, because shit always happens, guaranteed in life. But for those people who want to be really great right, and go and, and have that drive to go further, like that entrepreneur, they'll speak to the people who were behind them, right? So... So it's always both, whether it's bigger, whether it, you're playing it to go big or you're playing it smaller. I don't want to say small because it diminishes the value of those people because those people have value too. You know, the grandma who was there cooking, helping that, let's call it a basketball player, believe in himself when the going got tough and said, no, you get back out there and brought the principles and the character equation into, into it. Not just the identity and our identities come and go, but your character and your principles, that's all you really got. And so if you're able to align this understanding, then you as an individual can lead a good life and have meaningful work and meaningful relationships despite the failure and the, and the crap. And, will it and if you want to go big, you'll need to learn how to pull the coach in the corner behind you. I just want to say before David says anything, that you've managed to do something no one's ever done. Leave me which, speechless. Which, which is to get both of us to shut the hell up for three minutes. So when this is all said and done, will people who listen to your podcast change the way they conduct their lives or will they feel more comfortable with the way they conduct their lives currently? I don't know because that's going to be their experience and their choice. 
But what I'm hoping is that it awakens a perspective that encourages them to think more and dig more into that and then decide what they want to do and try it. Oh, I have a slightly different answer. Did you see Frozen 2? Did you see the movie Frozen 2? Frozen 2. Um, where <laughs> there's a song, and I forget where it was. Oh, he's going to sing. Are you going to no, sing? I'm not, no, I'm not going to sing. sing for us. But the point of this whole song was in a, and I forget which sister this was or friend, I forget who the characters were, but the one character who is lost in a cave, or, and I think she's lost in a cave both physically but sort of metaphorically as oh, well, she ends Disney up saying, show. I just have to put, well, my life is all based on the Brady Bunch, so you'll have to understand yeah. this makes perfect sense. Um, the whole point was you just have to put the right foot forward. You just keep muddling along, yep. and you'll get there as long as you have a goal and it's a reasonably laudable one. And I don't yeah. think we're going to do any better than that. And that's a good place to stop. <laughs> With that, I'd like to thank you both for coming on my show it's been obviously a massive failure, no doubt, and I very much enjoyed our conversation. For folks listening, please find links to Dave and Mark below, as well as to their podcast, Failure the Podcast. Indeed, life is a journey over an uncertain amount of time. We all seek meaningful work to make a difference, be inspired, and leave a legacy. But in the end, I promise you, it's by building meaningful relationships that you'll discover a richness of life more beautiful than you could ever have imagined. We'd love to know what you think of this podcast. And until next time, take a look at the people around you in your lives and go build up. <laughs>